listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to the first part of our new series called Armor Up. If you're watching online, make sure to share this feed. I've heard a little rumor that somebody at Facebook gets their wings every time somebody shares a new chapel feed. And if you're taking notes or have anything to take notes with here in uh, the building, go ahead and pull that out. I think today is going to be one of those Sundays to remember. Uh, this series will be on the armor of God, and I'm excited about it. We're not just going to be talking about it, uh, just explaining it. I'm going to show you how to apply the armor of God into your life and how to armor up. And, and it's probably, it is, it's cliche for a preacher to say, oh, you don't want to miss a week. But I really believe that over the course of the next several weeks, you're going to look back at what God has done in some of these services, and you're going to say, man, what he unlocked there and what I understand now, I'm so much better off, I'm so much closer to Jesus, right, than, than before. And, and I even think years down the road, we'll look back at Armor Up and say this was a series that changed us as a church, all of us together. And So don't, don't miss a week, you're going to want to be in the house. Friend, you're in a spiritual war. That's what's happening. It's happening right now. You say, well, Pastor Joe, I'm like you. I'm like the Italians. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I got you. I understand. I'm related to some people, and they're peace people. They don't want to upset anything. But, you know, even peace has to be made. And so whether you're like me and you're a lover, not a fighter, or whether you're a peace person, whether really you're a Christian or not, you are in the middle of a spiritual war. It's a, it's a big deal. You'd have to say that even four years ago, things are not as intense as they are now. The game isn't just changing. The game has changed. And, and something in all of us actually wants to rise up to meet that. There's something in us that wants a good fight. You know, you might be a peaceful person, but everybody gets in like just a little bit of an attitude every once in a while. For me, it's 20 minutes on 131. I'm ready to fight anybody. Let's fight. You know, just angry. <laughs> and, and so there's something in you. Did you know that seven out of the ten top grossing, most popular movies of all time, seven out of ten are superhero movies? That's, that's pretty amazing. It's because we want to win. We want to we save the day. Something in us wants to rise to the challenge when it happens. Uh, in my house this week, uh, by the way, we've raised our kids in the 80s and 90s. Even though my oldest is six, like E.T. is new. It's new, everybody. You can do that, right? And so, so we're watching all these oldies, and we started watching, come on, tell me if you know it, Mighty Ducks, right? We're not watching that because their dad is a pro at hockey. We're watching that, and they love it because they, something bubbles up that's like, let's win. Let's take the hill. Let's do it the right way. You know what I'm talking about, everybody? That's in us. And you know, that's pretty significant because the Bible actually calls our life here on earth, it calls it a vapor. It's like when you went out to go start your car the past week and we finally hit below zero. You went outside and you, you saw your breath for a minute and it was there a minute and was gone. That's what the Bible says your life is like. And so the things that we do here on earth, they have big implications on our life, our, our timeline that we're going to be living out here. But it has huge implications on eternity and how we live I want to show you how the armor of God factors into all of that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. 
book of Ephesians. I want to show this. Uh, maybe you have an iPhone. You can swipe there if you'd like. But Ephesians. Now, I do want to say this. Some of y'all grew up in church. You were a bunch of church kids, which sometimes are worse than PKs, but I married one, so yes, you're worse. You're worse than PKs. But, but you were at some basement, musky basement, and they had a flannel gram, felt bored, and you learned the armor of God way back in the day. So you're like, Pastor, I, I don't need any of that. Look, don't check out because you had to turn in some coloring sheet to your, to, your, to your Sunday school teacher. The Bible doesn't record the armor of God because we needed object lessons for our kids. It's for all of us as the body of Christ. Say amen, somebody. Now, Ephesians is the most magnificent of Bible books. It's amazing. The first chapter is like a Magna Carta for Christianity, spelling out, hey, let's get this game going, who you are in Christ. If you read verses 17 to the end of the chapter, it is monumental, the prayer that's recorded there. You should pray that over your life, pray that over your kids, pray it over government, everything. I mean, like, it is, it is mind-blowing. And then you get into chapters 2, 3, and 4, and these are practicum. It's like practicum 101, 201, and 301 on how to live the Christian life. Chapter 5, it says something like, be imitators of God. Like, like literally in the Greek, it would say mime God. The things you see him do, you do. The things you hear him say, you say. And when it gets to chapter 6, it's gone over so much about like even marriage, your relationship to your boss and your children, to your spouse. And then it gets to verse 10, and it says, finally. Like after all of these things, because see, sometimes we blame things on the devil, and it's not devils because you don't have character, but praise God. But that's, that's the first five chapters, six chapter, finally, and I want to pick up there, Ephesians 6 and verse 10. The Bible says this, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. Look at me for a second. It's easy to forget sometimes. That it's not just a battle with your coworker, with your, your mother-in-law that's trying to weigh in on everything. It's not, it's not just the people on the road, right? That behind these things, it's spiritual. And you might be angry at a car, but really, there's people in that car. What's in you that's making that bubble out? Does that make sense? That we're in, a, in, a, in, a, in another worldly battle. It says this in verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Well, there it is but against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies. Verse 13, therefore, second time, put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, remember that, you may be able to take your, your stand and stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. When we read this, I, I know this because I grew up in western Michigan. My church was out in the country. It was pretty close to like Kenowa and 13 Mile. It was, it was country folk, everybody. And so, so I remember what it's like to hear anything like this when I was growing up, where it's like, I don't, I don't know about all this demon talk, devil's talk, like, like spiritual battles. Pastor, that's, that's for that type of church. Friend, listen to me. If it's in the Bible, it's for the church. It's for you and I together. And we don't have to get weird about it, but we can take the place that God is describing in his word, right? Can I hear an amen? So that's a big deal. Whether you believe in the devil or not, this is just the truth. He's fighting against you. 
You can believe in gravity or not, but it has a pull on your life, right? And the devil's trying to eat your lunch. He's, he's trying to engage in a spiritual battle. And this battle is for your home. This battle is for your marriage, your kids, your schools. It's for, it's for our country. It's for our churches. I mean, how many churches closed in the last two years for reasons they shouldn't have? And guys, I'm telling you, it's so important that we realize it's spiritual. We, we are in a spiritual battle for our country, for the government. It's all happening. And if you think it's just natural and it's not demonic, my Atlanta, watch the news. I mean, you should be up on something right now, Lord Almighty. Write this down. This could be a thesis for the whole series. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to put on the armor of God. We have to put it on. It's something that we have to do. It's just put on the full armor of God. Look at the person that you came with today and say, armor up. Oh, that, that listen, I know y'all tried real hard with that. Just do it again, but really give it some umph right there. Look at your neighbor, say, armor up. And if you're married to him, you can kiss him. Go ahead, I'll give you a license to do that. <laughs> what is God saying? He says that we all have a part to play here. I like how in this passage it says, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Well, there's the buck up, buttercup, put your big boy pants on scripture of the Bible, isn't it? Oh, good. You stand. You're tired. Good. Keep standing. You know, like, he's not taking a time out. Hey, time. I wish in some of the attacks in my life, I could just be like, hey, pause. I just need to take a break. Wind's halftime. It's not coming. The battle's on. Let's go. Game on. Let's go. Armor up. Armor. You know, we work hard to secure our lives in the natural uh, secure it in so many different ways. I mean, one big way is now we all have iPhones, so you want to secure your digital wallet. And people secure their homes. They have, like, it's almost weird if, you're, if your doorbell doesn't have a camera in it. You know, you're the weird one if that's not the case. And we secure our bank accounts, and we have, we have little alerts that pop up and everything that we do. We have, we have life insurance. Everything's got to be so secure. And that's all of those different areas. Those have to do with things that are only of the surface. And there's nothing wrong with those things per se, but how much more should we work on securing our life in the spiritual battle that we're in? Write this down. Christians have Jesus' spirit in them, okay? I want you to see this. God's in you, right? But we're called to put the armor of God on us. This is not something that when you're born again, it's automatically just on you. You have to take responsibility to do it. You're the one that puts it on. And I'm also going to say this. The armor of God doesn't stand on its own. It's, the, like, it's armor. It's, it's not going to go wage a war for you. You need to put it on and go to battle. Say amen, somebody. Yeah. Write this down. With the armor of God, we can stand against the enemy. That, that's the biggest thing that you should see in all of this, that you don't have to get your chops licked. You can go fight yourself. That with this armor on, you can do something about the attack that you're facing. Now, imagine for a minute that I called you up this week and said, hey, I need to meet with you. This is urgent. Come to my office. And you came by the church house, and you came back to my office, and I said, look, there is somebody out to get you. And they've studied you. They've studied your kids. They know your weaknesses. They hate your guts. And these people are notorious for taking people down. They have a legacy of doing this, actually, through generations. And, and they want to mess with your mind, your children. They want to mess with your health, your mental well-being. They're assassins, really. They make the Taliban look like, like it's fake. This is a serious thing. You need to go do something about it. If you left my office, you would be in full-on panic mode about all of it, wouldn't you? You'd be like, oh, my gosh. You'd go find other people who could help watch you, help have your back, right? You, you'd go and, and, and you'd go to Glock for your Crocs. Like, you'd, you'd figure out something like, 
Dad's going to be packing for now on. You know, you'd do something, right? You'd go rush the ADT store. Like, we're getting security. I want cameras. Every, like, you'd go do something. How much more should we engage in something like this? And, and by the way, there's a preacher that's standing in front of you every single week saying, hey, you're in a spiritual war. You're in a battle. And this isn't, this isn't you, but maybe somebody else. Their response to that is to struggle through some Mickey Mouse devotional on the Bible app. And yet we need to realize that we're in a real battle. And, and the enemy wants to kill everything that we love. We're doing oftentimes too little for ourselves. How is your prayer life? How's your worship life? Do you wake up in the morning? Are you excited about the Lord and what he's doing in the life of your kids and family and relationships? Are you excited about the task that he gave you to do? Are you, are you engaged in all of it? Because if you're not, no one else is going to be that for you. And realize, friends, here's the sad truth. We have an enemy. That's what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter 5, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. Resist him, Christian. You don't have to let him trample all over you. I hear everyone say, oh, Pastor Joe, I'm getting beat up. The devil's taking my lunch. I'm, I'm going through it. Knock it off. The devil is defeated. Jesus defeated the devil. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And the Bible says that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. What's more than a conqueror? Well, he conquered. He just gave me the spoils of the victory, right? I'm more than a conqueror in him. You need to begin to fly the W over your life and stop asking permission to live. Don't let the devil attack you like that. you got to fight back. The armor of God is so that you can resist the enemy. I don't know all about that. It's in Scripture. you got to. And if you don't, he will take advantage of you. He will do it. And we have to realize that, that people that think that there is some sort of faith that doesn't involve their action, it doesn't exist. You have a part to play in all of it. Well, Pastor Joe, I'm going to pray the armor of God. You don't pray the armor of God on. Bless God, you put it on. Say amen, somebody. And it's, and it's on us to be able to take responsibility and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to oppose this. I'm not going to be upset anymore about it. I'm actually going to engage. I'm going to be upset and do something about it. That's what we're called to do, take direct authority. God is not going to go and fight the devil for you. He says you need to resist him. There's a lot of gravity, doesn't it? Ephesians 6. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. And I want you to see this. We read this, but when the evil day comes. Friend, the evil day is coming. It's even here. You're right. I mean, when we send our kids to school and, and we're, we've got this, like, pickled argument about what truth is, like, we're really struggling on that one. It's like, what's happened? A space alien? My teachers were tough and mean. Where did they go? They were tired, <laughs> you know? Where's the mean teachers <laughs> keep you in line who couldn't love you more and couldn't be tougher on you than anybody else? Now it's anything goes. Like the evil days here. When you call good things evil and evil things good, the evil days here. But also for your life, the evil day is coming. It will knock at your door. You're going to get bad news. I'm not saying you're going to lose everything. I'm saying be prepared in your heart that the devil's going to knock at your door. Well, Pastor, I want a more positive message at the church. Friend, I'm positive the devil's going to bring an evil day into your life. <laughs> He'll knock, but my encouragement is when he knocks, knock back. Write this down. Though evil days do indeed come, evil days do not have to last forever. You know, the enemy is trying to divide us in all kinds of different ways. We can see it. I mean, he's trying to divide us on race. Black against white. 
brown against black, brown against white, whatever it is, trying to make us divided as a people. It's like, who's feeding all of this division? Where did this come from? Somebody's making everybody angry. And we need to get to the bottom of that and, and, and realize that it's spiritual. There might be some real actors in this field who are exploiting this. But listen, it's spiritual. The devil's trying to divide us on financial status, the rich versus the poor. Buddy, listen to me. Your boss is not your problem. Him having money is not your problem. For you to get jealous of your boss having a nicer car and having more money than you is for you to make an indictment on God that God Almighty is not big enough to bless you and your boss at the same time. That's what it is. You need to look at every job that you have as an opportunity, that this is really something where I can prove how good of a steward I am, how faithful I'm going to be, so I can qualify myself for something greater because promotion doesn't come from even your boss. It comes from God. The enemy's trying to divide us in so many ways. He's trying to divide our homes. He's trying to divide our culture, change us, where we start to look more like Babylon than we do like America in the 1950s, all in such a short amount of time. But Paul says this, withstand in the evil day. That, hey, Christian, though the storm may rage, that you might have the worst day and the worst news knock at your door, that you can actually stand up in the midst of all of it and continue on with your life and you lamenting for the rest of your life about something evil that happened to you, friend, your life is for living. You got to live it. You can withstand the evil day. And I know this because when you stand against the enemy, he cannot withstand against you for long. He doesn't have that type of stamina. Our resistance against him actually shortens the attack. More on that in a minute. Write this down. The armor of God is equipment specifically designed to deal with the devil's attacks. It's equipment. Uh, anybody else in the room, uh, you're a toolie, like you really like tools, you get into weird tools, like you like having equipment. I'm not a great organizer of my, my stuff with tools and things like that. I, I read my father-in-law's book on organization for a garage uh, on that, but um, I love different tools and different equipment, and guys typically like that. There's some girls that do, but guys like that type of stuff. Because the equipment just, I don't know, makes things easier. And it's the reason why you drive to work and not run to work. It's, it's because equipment enables you to do something you wouldn't be able to do without it, right? Think of the scuba diver. Who is he without the oxygen tank? Well, he's just floating. You know, how that's just help you right there. Uh, think about the guy who's a welder. He's not going to take very much ground if he doesn't have that UV uh, face mask over there and some protection over his hands to be able to weld. You're not going to be welding very long. So the equipment is a big deal in what we do. Now, it enables us to do these great things. 2 Corinthians 10 says this. I want to show you this. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Not carnal. Remember that. They're not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is, by the way, Dude Scripture USA. Like, we're pulling down, we're casting down. It's like, I love the muscle in this passage. But, but it says that our weapons that God gives us, and it's citing the armor of God, that they're not carnal. What does that mean? Carnal means of this world. It's not, it's not like a sword. It, you know, so when he's talking about a sword, he's talking about a sword, but he's not talking about a sword. So the Apostle Paul's not wanting you to get dressed up as a Roman and have cosplay church, right? Like, we're going to get them, you know? <laughs> That's weird, okay? <laughs> that is that church. But, but it is literal. Even though he's using something symbolic or a metaphor, it is literal. And that, that is this. The weapons of our warfare are mighty in God 
So they are weapons, and they are things that we have to put on and apply in a literal way into our lives to be able to use these things, use the equipment. And so write it down. The right equipment gives us an ability that the unequipped do not have. And that answers a great many things then, doesn't it? Why some people prevail in adversity and others don't. Now, that's the first part of my message. I don't want to keep you long here today. I have a second part. What I'd like to do is talk to you about the armor of God, and all I'm going to do is talk to you about one of them. I think that we have time in this series to get through all of them. It's going to be pretty exciting. But if you do have your Bibles or if you are there already, Ephesians 6, I want to start reading in verse 13. Trek with me. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, girding your waist with the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying arrows always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That is a list of the sevenfold armor of God, seven different pieces here. And the stuff in parentheses I added in to, to give you a little bit of clarification. Some of us have different translations in the room. That just helps. But there's seven different pieces. And I want to start at the very top with the belt of truth. Uh, the belt of truth is the least glamorous of any of the Roman armor. Uh, but the belt, or maybe in your translation, the girdle or uh, loin belt of truth is the first piece of armor. And it's mentioned that way for good reason. It covers the waist. It covers the loins. In, in the Bible, in a biblical sense, this is actually symbolic of our minds. Write this down. Number one, the belt of truth helps us resolve our thought life. You might know a different way. Uh, for my study of the word, there isn't one. It's literally the word of God. But it's not just the word of God in a topical way. Don't you all wish you could just take the Bible and just kind of rub it on you and be like, yeah, I understand. You know, like, it's... There's a mechanism there, and when I show it to you today, it's going to bring freedom to a lot of people. Um, belt of truth. Uh, go ahead and throw that slide up of the Roman armor, guys. Uh, this is the Roman armor. You can see the belt there. You can see some of the leather straps that are going down. It actually would have gone around all of them. This is a centurion, a little bit higher rank. But your foot soldier uh, would have had the belt going around with the leather straps. The idea was that it would protect the thighs, the groin area, your waist. But it was also a useful tool, and uh, in that, it held a lot of the other pieces of the armor together. It actually had a little piece in it where they could take that massive shield, which typically needed to be two hands, especially if they were getting a frontal attack from archers. They'd go behind it like that. They could take this big shield, and there was a hook. They could hook the shield on, and with one hand, take the shield, and then, uh, out of a sheath, take their short sword and be able to have direct hand-to-hand -hand combat. It was, it was very complex. Uh, having the different leather straps did provide uh, uh, protection, but also made it so they could move. They were very agile in it all. Now, this does feel, admittedly, a little bit Sunday school. So, guys, throw up that next slide. This is going to make all the men in the room feel good. Russell Crowe, 100 pounds earlier. Okay, like that right there. Buddy, I'm telling you, that's what you should feel like when we talk about the armor of God. And you can see some of the straps that are going down the belt of truth. Now, it, uh, you don't have to imagine very far how the Bible would pick up on the theme that when you talk about the belt or you talk about the loin area that it's talking about reproduction. But did you know that in the New Testament it likens the mind to the reproductive area? I want to read it just real quick in 1 Peter 1. It says very curtly, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind. Well, what on earth does that mean? Before you leave today, you'll understand what that even means. But it's connecting this belt component 
the loins area, the protection of it, and the mind together. Write this down. The enemy attacks our minds more often than any other part of our being. Isn't that true? I mean, people do get sick from time to time. People do face an accident or something awful or a financial devastation. But, you know, you don't talk, yeah, I got a little cancer here. I just ripped it off real quick. No big deal. But if you go to anybody's house, those thoughts, have you had any thoughts of anxiety or worry? I mean, you don't have to go down but one house before somebody's like, yeah, I've been attacked with those type of things. I, I fear things sometimes. Sometimes I overanalyze, you know. Anybody overanalyze in the house a little bit? Let your, let your mind go. And, and so, so this, this attack that Satan has, it's the primary way. It's the entryway that he's going to attack you, and it's the way that you think. Thoughts begin a process. There are seeds that are planted. And again, this will separate the, the adults from the kids, but if you can think of this, this whole concept together, the enemy plants a seed in our head. And it can be, it could be a temptation. It can be doubt. It could be self-doubt. It could be some brokenness from your past that you're bringing into right now. And, and what will happen is if you don't reject that thought or uproot that thought as it comes in, if you don't manage your thought life, you'll begin to stew on it. And eventually it will bring forth a reality in your life. The devil does a ton, a ton, through the planting of seeds. Now, here's where it's all going to come together with this reproduction concept. Reproduction and the mind in the Bible are linked together because thoughts reproduce, don't they? When you go negative, how many of y'all know you can spiral downwards? You start thinking about crazy things, the worst things. That, but, but it is true on the other end. If you start to think like God thinks, you can spiral upwards. You can go positive to positive and go that way. But thoughts reproduce. So imagine, Satan comes into your world, he plants a seed in your head. And if you're not going to be a person that is managing it, if, if, you, if you don't expect that it's coming and, and fight against it, if you choose to yield to it, if you choose to give in, when that happens, you'll begin to spiral downward, and that gives him the perfect platform to make whatever that imagination is into a reality. That is how the devil works. Makes me think about Job in the Old Testament. If you don't know Job, maybe you're new to Christianity, uh, Job, Job got a real stiff deal. He lost everything. But in that story, what I want you to see is, similar to the old westerns, where some bad guy would kill everybody in, in some homestead, but they let one farmhand live to go tell the guy, it's the same thing what the devil did to Job. He took so much from him, but there was one guy that got out, and he came and said, it's awful, it's the worst, and he had obviously the most traumatic experience, right? And so that fear that it planted into Job, it was just as much of an attack as anything else that he faced. It's how the devil wants to take you down, plant the seed thought, and let it spiral out of control. I think about in the Old Testament, David and Goliath. Again, if you're new to Christianity, spoiler alert, David killed Goliath, okay? That's how it played out. But 40 days before that actually happened, uh, Goliath, who was this giant guy, he was casting shade on the Israelites, just talking smack about him for 40 days. And if you, as a casual reader, go through that story, you just be like, yeah, that happened. What you have to realize is something about human nature. Being a pastor for almost nine years as a senior pastor and almost all my adult life as a pastor, I've learned a lot about human behavior. What I would tell you is that Goliath did not want to fight. I know this because I grew up in the North Country. I grew up in a school that was rough. You know what I'm talking about, everybody? You don't need to worry about the kid that's talking about, I'm going to kick your butt, I'm going to whip you. That guy is easy pickings. Watch the quiet one. 
That dude wants to fight you. He'll come up, dot you between the eyes, and then go sit back down. Teacher would be like, did you hit him? Be like, yes. All right, don't ever do that again, you know, and then just move on with the day. If Goliath wanted to go whop him one, he would have done it, but he didn't. He wanted to intimidate the people of God through fear, wear them down through fear to get them to the spot where he could do his worst. You should be dead, but you're not. Do you know that the devil hates you? John 10, 10, the thief cometh not, but the steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and that more to the full. Now, now think about this. He wants to kill you, but you're still alive. Shows you how limited his power is. He has to use fear against you to wear you down to a spot where you'll even yield to that stuff. Now, I'm not saying that the world won't present situations where the worst happens. We live in a fallen world. But with an attack from the enemy, I'm here to tell you, it's, it's, he has to wear you down to get that foothold in your life. He is a blowhard. When Goliath fell and he died, do you know what the Philistines did? Read it. They tucked tail and ran. Tells you a lot about those guys, too. They didn't want a hand-on-hand, a -hand, face face combat situation. They weren't into it. They wanted to intend. Goliath wanted to win the whole thing with 40 Days of Smack Talk, which is ironically the title of my first book, which will be coming out this spring. Just kidding. <laughs> 40 Days of Smack Talk. <laughs> Sorry. Had to. The devil's a bully, a blowhard, and he wants to win his fights not by head-on collision with your life. He, if he could bulldoze you, he would. Sometimes he does some people. We see it. But more often, he wears you down. He wears you down with fear and intimidation. Now, we read in 1 Peter 5 that your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Devil. I want to zero in on that word for a second. We think of devil as his name. But it's not. Just like Christ is not Jesus' last name, it's a, it's a title. Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. It means that he's the Messiah. He's the guy. Devil is a title. It's not his name. You can either call him Satan or Lucifer, but he was one of three archangels in heaven and in a temptationless environment chose to rebel against God. That's insane. But Lucifer, uh, when he's called the devil, it's really... In the original languages of the New Testament, in Greek, showing you his description, and it's a job description. Devil is diabolos. Let's all just say that for fun. One, two, three. Dia Great, you learned a new word today. Good for you. Diabolos is made of the two words dia and bolos. You're welcome. Greek for beginners. Dia means to hit, but it doesn't mean like bam, hit. It doesn't even mean a specific hard hit. It's just a repetitive hit, dia. Dia is to hit, but hit over and over and over and over again. That's dia. Bolos is different. Bolos means to strike through, but it doesn't mean, again, like the big wrecking ball, boom, knocks down a wall. It means that by being wore down, you eventually strike through. So here's the picture that, the, that, that God is giving us with the word devil. Your adversary is trying to wear you down. And so he's bringing every awful imagination. Every time your kids go out, you're, you're afraid of having a car accident. you got to go get up from church and go check on them several times to make sure they're all right. You've, you've, you're just afraid about your finances because you lived through 2008 and you, you lost stuff and your 401k went down. What about our Roth IRA and my Atlanta Ringling Brothers in the White House? I don't know what we're going to do. And you start thinking about all these wild things. And all of a sudden, boom, 
You, you have a breakdown. You have an issue. Something comes into your life. And you're like, where did that even come from? It's because you were litting things through your filter. When Dia was happening, you didn't go, stop. I'm taking this captive. I'm not going to have you do this. I'm not going to have you throw up in my life and in my mind. I'm not going to think everything that falls into my mind. Now, the armor of God, huge deal. All of the different pieces of the sevenfold armor, it's all going to deal with three things. With the mind, the mouth, and the heart. And the belt of truth is no different. The belt uh, of truth. So think about belts. Belts help tighten things. Helps for those of us in the room that have gone through fluffy seasons in our life. Helps just, you know what I mean? But here's the idea. It's tied to, to mind, right? Some of us are so loose with our thinking. Some of us are very loose about whatever comes into our mind. There's looseness. And, and we let Satan sow seeds of fear and, and doubt, unbelief, brokenness. And, and what he's trying to do is this. He wants you to fight him with thought to thought. That's his arena. And I'm going to tell you, if you play on his turf, you're going to lose. Well, wait a second. I'm a conqueror. Not if you play his game with his rules on his turf. You will lose. Right. Promise you. Well, I think I can do it. Okay, this is the person who's the overanalyzer. You begin to isolate from everybody else, trying to figure it all out. And you know what it does. It paralyzes you. You don't feel like you can do anything. You don't know if it's the right, because you're still trying to get all those gears put together, you know, to process the right thing. And, and you're paralyzed in your action, and it's because you're not tight with how you think. There's a way to think. Everything that pops in your head, you don't have to take it. And so when the enemy tries to take these thoughts and put them into your mind, you can't outthink him. You have to refuse attempts to try to outthink him. I don't sit around when problems come to me and try to brainiac my way through them. I've learned a better way to deal with my problems. Now, here's how the belt of truth works, and I would call it the home field advantage. Get off from his arena and get on your turf. We started this passage in just a minute ago, but I want to finish it. 2 Corinthians 10. The weapons of our warfare are, it continues to say, mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Strongholds, what's a stronghold? Strongholds where you believe a lie. You believe something that's not true. This is where you're broken about the past because something a parent or a grandparent or a coach or a friend said, you believe that about you. It's, it's like a spiritual body dysmorphic disorder. You, you don't see yourself in the right lens. That's a stronghold. It's when you believe a lie. Some people believe lies about God. That's a stronghold. So it, it's, it, what, what is the weapons for? It's for pulling down these strongholds and casting down arguments. Well, what is that talking about? It's talking about when you get lost in your head trying to, you think you're just talking to yourself. That argument that's playing out that you're trying to do all the facts and it's making you dizzy, you're trying to think so much, it is so much more spiritual than you even realize. And so it's for the, it's for the casting down of arguments and here's the end, this is what we didn't read. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Begs the question, How? Like, I agree, I, I don't want to think that way, Pastor Joe. I don't want to spiral. How do I do it? What's the mechanism? I'm so glad y'all asked. You set me up so well in these messages. <laughs> when the thought comes to you, you have to ask yourself, is this from Jesus? Is this, is, does this line up with God's word? If it's not, you bring it into captivity by speaking God's word over it. Number two. The only way to have clarity of mind during an attack is to speak God's word. That's the only way. Jesus faced a temptation. I, I just don't have time to bring us there today. It's in Luke's gospel, chapter 4. But Satan himself 
uh, attacks Jesus with temptation, and, and he's trying to get him to slip up, trying to get him to drop that, that status of Christ and just be a mere man by compromising. And he, he tempts him, and Jesus responds back, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The second temptation comes, knocks at Jesus' door, and, and Jesus says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He said, get behind me, Satan, at the beginning of that. I kind of like that. Satan tempts a third time. It was a whopper. And Jesus says, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. What is Jesus doing? He is not battling thoughts with thoughts. I also like the fact that Jesus does not just pop off at him. He popped off at him and said, get behind me, Satan. That's like oxygen for me when I read the Bible, just to let you know. But he doesn't just pop off. He quotes the word of God to him. In fact, one of the temptations, Satan tried to quote to Jesus the word of God, and he misquoted a little bit of it. And, and Jesus says, it's been said. He's trying to cite the fact that this has been in my mouth my whole life. You don't know what you're talking about. And I love how he responds. He doesn't just try to battle thoughts with thoughts. He doesn't just pop off and become vocal. He becomes vocal, but he becomes vocal about the word of God in specific. That's the key. When you face these rogue thoughts, these seed thoughts that come and they knock at your door like they do mine, you take them captive by realizing they come in. Is it part of God's will? Yes or no? If it's no, you speak God's word back to you. Well, I'm in trouble, Pastor Joe. I don't know a lot of the Bible. I understand. I was there. I had like, I can do all things through Christ. And I just used it for everything that I went through. I, I don't know. Money problems, I can do all things through Christ. I don't have no idea what that even means right now, but that's what I'm saying. You don't need a lot of, you don't need to be a doctor of the word for you to be a functional Christian with the belt of truth around your waist. Can I hear an amen? That's a big deal. And so, here's what I know. When I preach a message like this, some of you are tormented. You're like, you're right. Get lost in my head try to figure it all out, and it weighs you down. Makes you second-guess things. Makes you question things that you thought were a fixture in your life. And that's what thought-on-thought combat will do. But I also know this, that God can give you this handle on your thought life. It works naturally, and it works spiritually. Let me show you what it looks like in the natural. We're going to play a game. This is an all-game, all-play game. We're going to play Simon Says, okay? In just a minute... Spoiler alert, I'm going to have you count from 10 to 1, 10, 9, 8, 10 to 1 in your head, not out loud, okay? I'm going to say, Simon says, count to 10 to 1. You're all going to do it, okay? And there'll be more steps, but like, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Ready? Simon says, count from 10 to 1 in your head, not out loud. Go. Simon says, say your name out loud. Are you still counting backwards? No. Because God gave you, even in the natural, a handle on your thought life. You don't have to think about everything that you think about. You have to think about whatever you're saying. And so those of you that are tormented in your mind, get it out. This is why some reason why counseling works. It's just sometimes externalizing things to be like, that is crazy, isn't it? I believe that. That's nuts. But then some things will be more real than anything else. And that's where the word of God, this is why that trumps everything. But God gave you a handle on it all. For those of you that have spent time, and it, it bums you out, it depresses you. You're even thinking, this is chemical, and it's spiritual. 
Because the enemy's eating your lunch with these seed thoughts, and you don't know how to reject them. You reject them by opening your mouth. I'm soft-spoken. Well, that's not how the armor works. This is not a personality thing. Pastor Joe, you're outspoken and demonstrative. (laughs) Ask the people that know me. I'm soft-spoken, quiet, and kind of to myself. I get rowdy when I get up here on stage. I don't know. Y'all put something in me. I don't know. This isn't personality. You can be a mild-mannered accountant and be mighty in the Lord, strong in his might, be able to cast down arguments, pulling down of strongholds. I don't believe that junk about myself anymore. I don't believe that about God anymore. I'm going to side with the word of God on this thing. I'm not who other people say that I am. I am who God says that I am, and I am saved. I am redeemed. He put my feet on a rock. I don't have to buy that junk. I have the belt of truth. And it appeals to a higher standard. And I believe this, like Jesus, these temptations that come into our life, they came three times to him, they typically come three times to me. That's my experience. He'll tempt me or he'll bring a thought into my head and I'll reject it. Not long after, he'll come again. I'll reject it. Third time's the charm. He realizes, not taking the bait. And I found that most temptations in my life last about 20 minutes. Do you have a 20-minute battle to win peace of mind, fight the battle. The belt of truth is when you begin to reject thoughts that are not of God's, you incorporate God's word, and you speak it out loud as a handle on your thought life. That, my friends, is where you have the first line of victory with the armor God. Let's armor up. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for meeting us in this place. God, I do know that some of my church family, new friends that came into this place. And this message, it was just for them. They're going through it. God, I pray that when they're in church today, the, this, this bubble that we've prayed for of peace, that when they're in here, God, that, that they do feel relief. They do feel that peace that they want. They want it so badly. But God, I also pray that when they get into the car, if they are dealing with it, and maybe their spouse doesn't even know, they know that that, that they overanalyze, but not this much, how much they're dealing with, that God, they'd be bold enough to say something and take the steps together to be free. God, I thank you that as they do that, they're going to experience the peace that passes. Here it is, understanding. You don't have to figure it all out, friend, to have that peace. God has that peace for you today. Maybe you came into my auditorium and you say, Pastor Joe, I'm not right with God. The only way to have peace with God is through Jesus. He made that way. The Bible says when you call Jesus Lord, Lord means boss, by the way. It's you not being the God of your own life anymore. You finally admitting you're kind of a crummy God. But you make Jesus the Lord or God over your life. When that happens, the Bible says that you'll be saved. You'll have eternity in heaven when you die. You'll avoid a Christless hell, but eternal life doesn't start the moment you die, friend. It starts the moment you accept Christ. So some of the freedom that you're looking for, it's on the other end of amen. We're going to pray, and if you mean it from the bottom of your heart, the Bible says you'll be saved. If you say this like it's poetry or some religious act, you'll leave the same way you came in. But I believe this. There's people in the sound of my voice that want that peace with God. Church, let's pray this all together. Pray it as a declaration of our faith with those that are praying it for the first time. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus 
to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ in the room. Hey, louder than that, New Chapel, come on, from death to life. I just want to say, if you prayed that prayer, great job. The reason why we get buck wild with things like that is because we know the freedom we experienced in Jesus. We're not perfect here, but we are forgiven, and we're excited about the journey that God has you on. Uh, if you are in here and you prayed that for the first time, please do fill out that connection card that we mentioned earlier in the service and check the box that says, I accepted Christ. We want to send you a note in the mail talking about next steps that Jesus has for you. God has big things for your life, friend, the least of which is to fill out that card. We'd love to be able to send that to you. Church, one more time, let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Hey, you can stand up on your feet. Did y'all get anything out of today's message? I hope that you did. I believe this series, as it builds one on another, is going to bring oxygen like to our lives. Bring your friends and your family. Invite somebody with you. I'll be here next week preaching the second part of all of this. A couple of quick announcements before I get you out the door, and I have 1 minute 57 seconds to do it. The first of which is this. We're having a Super Bowl party on February 13th. That's next Sunday. And uh, the Bengals made it, which is like, what? Anything can happen, you know? And so... Come, I'm encouraging everybody who comes to church, if I have to wear Under Armour, and my wife made me done go buy that Tanger outlet and get some Under Armour, if I got to wear Under Armour while I'm preaching the series, you got to wear your jersey next Sunday. And then at 6 o'clock that night, we're having a Super Bowl party on the big screens. It's going to be a riot, Euchre tournament. They're going to have a chili cook-off, a dip contest, and I'm going to take a tithe from everybody's treats. In Jesus' name, I'm just saying. Small groups start tomorrow. I'm excited about that. Church is not only in rows, church is also in circles. If you want to really make relationship and really take ground in your faith, go out and sign up for a small group. If you don't like it after a time or two, like, peace out. We, it's, this is in Hotel California where you can check out but not leave. You know, I mean, you can, you can try out a couple of them. I'm leading the best one. It's on faith, and you should sign up for that one. But... And finally, we made some pretty big changes with our kids' classrooms this weekend. I think that's pretty exciting news as well. Um, I just want to ask for your patience in the process of picking up your kids and dropping off your kids for the next several weeks. Uh, We had planned to have our new check-in stations opening. Our software wasn't compatible with the printers that we purchased, and so next week we will have them. But I do want to say this. In addition to all of these changes with classroom, we also changed our curriculum over. And I'm happy to say that on the first, first service, 9 o'clock service, back in preschool, four children gave their life to Christ with this new curriculum. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so it's already doing its thing. Ask your kids what they learned. There's a big answer that they're going to share with you. Babe, why don't you come up here and pray with the people. Give it for my beautiful bride. Come on, babe. We love you. We're here for you. If you have a need in your spirit, soul, or body, don't leave this place without having somebody pray with you up here at the front. We'll have prayer partners. Kai and I will be out inside the lobby just to say, hey, the Lord bless you and keep you.
make his face shine on you, be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And as you go, as you go, see you next week.